0: Hello, and welcome to the Candy Gibbs podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about upcoming events, this podcast, and for other resources, visit candygibbs.com. I want to get a little bit of a gauge on your age of kiddos, so I'm going to tell you what mine are. Um, It's so funny, that growing older thing. I often... Look back on my life, and when I started doing this and working at Hope Choice, what used to be called CareNet, and uh, all those things, I was almost always the youngest one in the room, and on committees and at events, and and now I look around and <laughs> times have changed, um, and I am no longer the youngest one in the room. My kids, my oldest son Tanner. Uh, is married. He is in the Air Force, and I have four grandbabies with Tanner. Uh, Then my next son, actually my firstborn son, is Jake, and he just graduated from Texas A&M in December. I knew I would get some. And um, he is headed to medical school in July, and then my baby is Madison, and she just turned 20, and she is also at Texas A and M, and so we have just like Howie said, we have experienced a lot of it. I wish I could tell you adult children are easier. That would be a lie. Any of you in the room with adult children, it is a whole new ball game. You learn lots of new negotiating tools and ways to present your opinion, um, but. I just wanna say that I pray for you every day. Whether I know your name or not, I know the situations that you face. And it is getting harder and harder by the day to raise children, to be people who carry the light and who know how to stand up not only for themselves, but for what is true and right, and for what honors the Lord. And you have, as mothers and as parents, the most important job on the planet because you are raising a generation of Joshua's. You have a calling. They have a calling, And it is our responsibility as parents to point them in the direction of that calling and to do it with strength and courage and integrity. So I just want you to know that um, I am with you, I am for you, and I am praying for you, and I just want you to know you're doing a really great job. And just like Pastor Howie said, just that you are a part of groups like this. None of us know it all. And there is a new circumstance and situation every day. And you need people that are in your same uh, stage of life. And you need mentor people in your life who can say, man, I walked this road and there's a ditch over there and there's a big pothole coming up. And that will help you and it will benefit you for sure. So I'm going to try to save some time for questions at the end. Um, I have been asked to talk to you about everyone's favorite topic, which is how to talk to your kids about purity and sexuality and how do we prepare them and what are some of the potholes that we face. So I want to start with um, a scripture and a story. This is Exodus 10, 21 and it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so that darkness will spread over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. <clears throat> and I don't know if you've ever felt that kind of darkness before, but not too many years ago, probably six or seven, my family and I were on a vacation and we went on this tour of a cave. And we were riding in this Jeep and this tour guide drives us through and it's lit up all through the cave and he's showing us these rock formations. And we get down into the very bottom of this cave and the man starts talking about darkness and he says, You know, not everybody, most people really, haven't experienced true darkness. And while he's talking, I'm like, this dude is about to turn these lights off. And so I'm trying to get myself prepared because we are down, miles down. And sure enough, the man turns off the lights. And Jake, my 22-year-old son, he was probably about 12 or 13 at the time, he's sitting by me. And as soon as those lights went off, I'm thinking, whew. I am hot. And it feels like someone put a weighted blanket on me and I I know I can breathe. And I'm talking to myself like, and I mean, it seems like 45 minutes, these lights have been probably been about 15 seconds, you know, and I start to realize that I'm responding to this anxiety attack that I'm having when Jay reaches over. He's like, mom, you're all right. Just breathe in and out. You know, I'm like, what am I doing? Am I talking? Am I praying out loud? I mean, what's going on? They turn the lights back on and all of a sudden you could breathe again. And I thought that is darkness That can be felt and I would tell you I I came and talked to this very group probably eight years ago and I would have said that it was a dark culture then Uh, today it is darkness that can be felt and I want to read you just a little bit of what we wrote in this book it says my cave experience that summer morning is the perfect example of how I believe this culture is impacting us. The fear goes much deeper than being afraid of what could be lurking in the darkness. Sometimes I'm afraid of the darkness itself. I'm unsure if the darkness is so intense that it lures us to sleep, or if we are simply becoming more comfortable with it and adapting to existing in its presence. But make no mistake, it is a presence, a darkness that can be felt. Exodus 10:22 and 23 then says, So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. The Bible also says in John, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in 1 John, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so regardless of how dark the culture can seem, I want you to know that light lives in your home because light lives in you. And light lives in your children. And the word also says that every step they take, everywhere they set their foot, they carry that light with them. It draws people around them to them. And they are then able to point them to the true source of all light. And they are taking ground for the kingdom. And so I don't want us to be afraid or overcome by the darkness. The other thing I want us to remember is that we need to stand near the light. You need to stay as close to the word of God As you can get. And I want to encourage you. You know, we've gone through all of these different sort of movements and approaches to religion. I don't care one thing about religion. I don't care where you go to church, what denomination you are, how you worship, how you pray, when you pray. I don't care about any of that. I care about do you know Jesus and do your children. You have got to stand close to the light. The other thing that we've done as a culture is we've tried to make it super hip. Like, well, you know, your generation, you don't like to listen for a long time. So we need to take sermons and we need to drill it down to like 10-minute TED Talks. Or we got to have a lot of games. These youth, they need to play a lot of games and it needs to be Xbox and whatever they all are, all those things. we got to give them everything on their iPads and on their cell. we got to entertain them. They've got to have food. Everywhere we go, we've got to give food. Are those teenagers, they're not going to come? Well, I'm going to tell you something. It's all bull. The bottom line is this next generation, you, your kids, you need to know Jesus in a passionate way. You need to learn what it is like to walk in faith so much that you expect a miracle or the whole thing is coming down. You have got to teach them what it feels like to stand facing the Red Sea with the Egyptians approaching. If God doesn't show up, we've got a problem. But do you know who God is? He shows up every time. The word is still the truth all the time. It doesn't matter if it's convenient and it doesn't matter what my opinion about it is either. Men and women get married, have families, make children. You are born a boy or you are born a girl. You are not supposed to be having sex before you get married. And to say those things does not make me judgmental and unloving. It means that I'm standing close to the light and I can see what is true and what isn't. And the loving thing to do when people are scurrying around in the darkness is to turn on the light. You are the light. I'll tell you something else. The closer you stand to the light, the less confusing it is. The word says that you are to hold up a standard. You know, there's a story in the Bible where Moses says to Joshua, you're going to fight. You're going to choose the warriors, and and you are going to be the one doing the battle. But I'm going to go up on the mountain, and I'm going to lift up a standard. That's the word that is used. I'm going to hold up my staff. And a staff is a standard. And what that story represents for us is that Moses went up on top of that mountain and he held up a standard. And when Joshua got confused and the fight got very serious and bloody and difficult, he looked up on that mountain and Moses continued to hold up the standard. And as long as he did, Joshua knew we're still in this. I see the standard, I know what we're working toward. So that's what we're talking about in our homes. You are the standard bearer. And just like Howie said, you're going to communicate to your kids in a very clear way, come what may, this is the standard. This is what our expectation is. This is what we're shooting for. The stakes are too high. We don't have time to focus only on entertainment and fun anymore. We have to start holding up this standard because we are living in a world of darkness that can be felt. So I want to talk just a little bit today about what you need to be preparing your children for related to sexuality. And I work at Hope Choice, which is uh, Hope Choice Pregnancy Centers and Mentoring Programs. And we are a pregnancy center. All of our services are free and confidential, and we serve people who find themselves in unplanned pregnancies first. And um, something interesting is that Um, We have four offices, three uh, in Amarillo and Canyon, one in Pinedale, Wyoming. There are about 2,500 pregnancy centers across the country, and an average pregnancy center will see about 80 to 100 people every month. Well, in our ministry, and between those four offices, we see over 1,300 pregnancy clients every month, which makes us one of the largest pregnancy centers in the country. Well, we, about the year 2000, we started offering mentoring programs and the reason we did that is because we saw a change in the clients that were coming in to the center for pregnancy tests because in the 80s and 90s, you could uh, label someone a typical pregnancy center client and it would be a teenage girl who maybe didn't have a great relationship with her dad or she just was really insecure and she was trying to find acceptance and value. Well, around 2000, that changed and it started becoming families, moms and dads that had been married uh, for many years and they raised their families in church and these were Christian kids that were coming in. And we began. I began asking the Lord, what is this about? Because we are no longer looking a lot different than the rest of the culture. And we began to realize that what was happening was things were changing so quickly. It was catching parents off guard. And one of those things was technology, but it was really everything. Because what happened all of a sudden is we had really busy parents and I mean they are both working and they're both working out and they are both into their things and there we're going 100 miles an hour and the kids we got to have them in the right event and the right practice with the right coach and it was 5 days a week and I mean everybody is going 100 miles an hour and so the way we were seeing people parent was Oh, you're uh, letting them group date in the sixth grade and be dropped off at the movies. Oh, you gave them a phone in the second grade. Well, I guess that's what we do, so we did that. And we are all going 150 miles an hour off the cliff. And so we decided if we could start developing some programs to interact with these families four or five years before they get into sixth grade, Maybe we can see a difference in our community. Maybe people will start making different decisions if we can raise a warning sign here and there. So that is why this issue in particular is very, very important to me. So if you have kids that are preschool age, raise your hand. If you have elementary school kids, middle school Bless you in Jesus' name. (laughs) High school. Okay, college. And adult. All right, well, I'm gonna just give you a few things for each different grade uh, or age level, and then I want you to be able to ask me anything that you think of or want to. I'm kind of going to follow this little handout if you want to fill in the blanks. I'm gonna apologize ahead of time if you are someone that has to have every blank filled in because it is unlikely I'm going to remember to fill in every blank, but I'm gonna do my best. Okay, so first, um, I want to talk just a little bit about before the age of five. And that's something kind of that Howie even touched on. You need to be predictable. And that's the way that Howie worded it. What I want to say to you is you must keep your word. Because if you are going to parent From a perspective of maintaining a standard, your kids at least need to be able to know which side of the street you stand on and be able to predict how you are going to respond in a situation. And I'll give you an example. My uh, son, this was Jake too, he, both my boys wrestled from the time they were four all the way through. And so Jake was about four, And we were at a sign-up for our wrestling club at this particular day, and it was at a used car lot. And there, you know, used car lots have those big, huge balloons that are really high. Okay, so him and his buddies, they are running through this parking lot. They think it is the most fun thing in the whole world. And I say to him, son, don't run through the parking lot anymore. There's cars, it's dangerous, don't do it. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. And I said, if you do do it, I'm going to spank you. Okay, okay, okay. And so in I go, and I'm doing whatever I'm doing with the sign-up. Well, a few minutes, here comes Jake and his buddies. He is in tears, and his, his friends are upset because he was running through the parking lot, and the wind blew at just the right time, and one of those balloons came down low, and it clotheslined him, and it looked like Jack the Ripper had just slit his neck. It wasn't that deep, but it did look pretty bad. And so I, you know, felt very sorry for him. I mean, he was hurt, and he was crying, and he was little. And I took care of his little wound and put him in his car seat, and we were on the way home. And on the way home, I'm talking to him. I'm, I'm sorry, that hurt. Yeah, that hurt. And um, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. And we got a little bit closer to home and I said, now, Jake, you know what I'm going to do when we get home. And he said, yeah, you're going to spank me. And I said, I am going to spank you because I am always going to do the best I can to keep my word. And when we got home, I spanked him, and it wasn't easy for me to do that. But it was important that I did that. And I wasn't angry, and I wasn't yelling, but it began at the age of four, A relationship between me and my son that said you can count on me to do what I say that I'm going to do and I'm going to do the best I can to always do what I think is best for you and that's the kind of relationship that we want to have with our kids we want them to know you can count on me the other thing that I would say that is super beneficial about setting expectations is. If I set expectations, I don't have to wig out and lose my mind when you do not do what the expectation is. Now, if you have a son in the room, have you ever said, I need you to take out the trash. I need you to take out the trash. You still have not taken out the trash. You need to take out the trash, take out the trash, take out the trash, right? We say it 150 times. If I'm talking to your son And it really doesn't matter what age that son is. And I say, what is the one thing that you most dislike about your mom? He will say, she nags the heck out of me. Now you would say, if he would just do what I asked him to do, when I asked him to do it, I would not have to nag him. You might say the same thing about your husband. Um, (laughs) I want to just give you a little tidbit on that. Try this. Son, when you get home from school today, I need you to pick up your room and take out the trash, and I need you to do it before dinner. And dinner is going to be at 6.30. And then I would say, say that back to me. And then that boy will say, I need to take out the trash and clean my room by 6.30. Yes and then don't say another word. And he might take out the trash and if he does, that's awesome. That doesn't mean he gets a new iPhone or a new scooter. <laughs> that means you did awesome. Thank you for obeying. If he doesn't and 6:30 comes, then you say, "Hey, I need you to right now take out the trash and pick up your room." and then you're going to bed 30 minutes earlier tonight because you did not do what I asked you to do. And I'm not screaming, I'm not angry, I haven't asked him 20 times to do it, but I gave him the opportunity to show me respect, but I did show him respect. And that same technique works in almost every situation. And if your child knows, my mom's going to set the expectation and then she is not going to nag me, but if I don't follow through on my end there is going to be a natural consequence, just like how said. And so that kind of thing starts when they're preschool and it will carry all the way through until they are grown and off on their own. So let's talk particularly about um, sexuality. First, first thing right there, A, there is no such thing as the sex talk. There is not a one-time talk when it comes to communicating about sex. Um, if you had a talk with your mom about sex, raise your hand. If it was a one-time conversation, keep your hand up. If your mom never said anything to you, you just knew you weren't supposed to, raise your hand. Okay, so that is the same with me. I had a a talk with my mom one time, and I was in the seventh grade, and I'll never forget it, and I came home from uh, school, and I walked in the door, and when I came in the door, my mom and my grandmother were sitting on the couch, and they're looking at me like June Cleaver, you know, and I'm like, (laughs) and my mom goes, hey, um, we bought you a book, and it's on your bed, and we want you to go in there and read that book, and if you have any questions, then come out and ask us. And I get in there, and this book is called The Wonderful Way Babies Are Made. And I am like, first of all, I'm in the seventh grade. I already know that. And I flip through, and I open my bedroom door, and I'm like, "Um, I got it, no questions. And I know they were in there like, that was so much easier than we thought it was going to be. Check the box, right? Done. That does not happen. It didn't work well that many years ago. And it surely doesn't work now. I just heard that Pixar is about to have their first transgender character. Um, You guys, I liked, I'll I'll tell you, there's very few shows on TV that I still like. Uh, But there was one uh, that I did like, and it was New Amsterdam. And there were several, anybody seen that? Okay, there were several shows where I'm like, this is over the line, but I like it. I really like the character of Max. And my favorite thing, he has approach to the whole show is, how can I help? And I'm like, oh, that's so endearing. I love this show. So I'm, I'm watching these things and just sort of like definitely compromising. Well, the other night, my husband cannot stand the show. So I record it. Well, he goes to sleep, and I turn it on. I'm like so excited to watch New Amsterdam. The first scene in that show was the most offensive scene I've ever seen on TV, and it was a homosexual sex scene, and it was repulsive. And I would have thought it was repulsive if it was heterosexual, but it wasn't. And I turned that off and laid there and cried because I thought, any child, anybody, could have turned that on that was violating to me as a 40 something year old woman that thinks and talks about this kind of thing all the time what if it was a five-year-old boy or a six-year-old girl and so talking about sex and what is appropriate and inappropriate and in a way that honors your child honors the lord it is important and it is a lifestyle So every opportunity, just like Howie was saying, when there's a purple heart and you can talk about that, you are going to have opportunity every day to talk about purity, sexuality, all of those things. You need to take the opportunity because you want to develop an atmosphere in your home that your kids can ask you anything and talk to you about anything. Giving your child facts about sex does not rob them of their innocence, The culture has done that for you. You cannot avoid it. You cannot protect them from it. Something else that is important is you need to call your child's body parts what they are. So I know that we call it a wee-wee, a pee-pee, a tee and all those things, right? Or whatever your name is. But let me tell you something. Um, Also, I'll say this. Every time I... I do this talk. There'll be a mom that'll come up and say, I just cannot tell my son that he has a penis. And I'm like, well, to him, a penis or a pee-pee, it doesn't matter. It's you that has the issue with the word. But the issue is he is going to go to school. And in Texas, there is curriculum. It's not, as far as I know, in Amarillo or Canyon yet, but in Texas... Starting in kindergarten, these loving people will come in and start talking to your kids about sexuality. And in kindergarten, they'll sit them down in a circle and they'll say, okay, everyone, what is your private part called? And they'll go around the room and they'll all say, wee-wee-pee-pee, all the things. And at the end of that, this adult will say, boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. If you have questions, you need to come and talk to me. Well, what that tells your child is one of two things. Either my mom is a nutcase and does not know that I actually have this, or my mom is too embarrassed to talk about these things. So if I have questions, I need to talk to this nice person. We don't want that. We want our children talking to us about their body and about sexuality. Um, 93% of kids hear about sex from someone other than their parents. That's only 7% that we're taking care of. If you want to be the one that talks to your child about sexuality, uh, do you know what age you have to have had the full-blown talk? It's 7 now. Yep, 7. (laughs) Okay Um, Next one Let your preteen know That there are going to be body changes That are coming They're going to be moody They're going to be attracted to the opposite sex There's going to be growth Uh, Their voice is going to change You need to kind of prepare them For all of that, right? Um, Something that I think is really important To also discuss Is Friendship, what does that look like? And you know, the Bible tells us, above all else, guard your heart, because from it flows life, right? So purity is not about not having sex until you're married. Purity is about how I think, how I feel, and how I choose to behave, right? So we're talking with our kids about those kinds of things, all of their life, but something that used to happen is when I was in middle school, if my friend, if I liked her hair, and we liked the same music, and she made me laugh, and we enjoyed going to the same places, uh, she was my BFF, right? Now, we have so over sexualized our children that little girls in middle school who have found their BFF. I like this girl's sense of humor. I think she's cute. We enjoy hanging out together. Oh, I must be a lesbian. No. And really, when you're in the seventh grade, you shouldn't have a boyfriend either. Why? Have we started to allow our children to have these pseudo-marriages by the time they're in the fifth grade? Now, let me tell you something. This starts when they're three. My kids went to Mother's Day out. Your kids probably do. I remember going to Mother's Day out and picking up Maddie. She's three years old, and a mother would say, isn't that so cute? Look at her little boyfriend. And I'm telling you, everything in me is against that. And I know that that mom, that's super innocent to her. And it is innocent at three, except we start telling them at three, oh, you know what? It is so cute when you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and people notice it. Well, then they get a little bit older, and they're going to school, and in the second grade, it's Valentine's Day, and I'm giving Valentines to everybody, but I want to give this special little Valentine to this little girl or this little boy, and we think that's cute too. And then they start texting, because do you know the most common time for somebody to give their child a smartphone, what age? It's eight in the second grade. So now we're texting little boys, little boys are texting us. Y'all, when I started giving this talk, I'm like, girls do not call boys. My boys did not take phone calls from girls. Now, in second grade, I can text and send pictures of anything I want to anybody I want and I'm eight years old. So we do that, and then in fifth grade, we think it's oh so cute that this mom picks up all the girls and this dad picks up the boys and they drop them off at the movies. Well, if you've not been to the movies with a bunch of kids that age, you need to go talk to the little constable man that works at the movies because he will tell you stories that will blow your mind. There was a season, this still happens, but it used to be that kids would get at the top and the back of the movies and have oral sex. So we knew that was going on. So we would hire a 13-, 14-, 15-year-old teenage boy with a flashlight to go down the aisles to make sure, okay, first of all, you wouldn't know what to do if you walked up on middle school kids doing that. But we think a 15-year-old boy with a flashlight is going to see anything? He isn't and so that's happening now we have kids that are getting you know you have the movie screen and then you have that black curtain to the floor they're getting up under behind that curtain and having full-blown sex while you're watching the movie this is happening in amarillo this isn't happening in california and this is pre i mean uh, middle school kids that are being dropped off at the movies but we think that's really cute too And then they get into high school and they don't know if on a questionnaire that asks if they're married or single, if they should check single. I'm like, what in the world have we taught you about what marriage is and is not? You are single. Well, they are in these relationships that is so dysfunctional Because they're trying to behave like a married couple with no maturity and no commitment. And then they start having sex. And then thinking adults all over this community sit around and talk about what in the world is wrong with these kids? Well, what's wrong with it is we told them it was cute from the time they were three years old all the way up until they're having sex. And then we just want them to stop right before they do that. I'm going to tell you something else. Parents really gain a lot of accolades for themselves by posting prom pictures. And I'm going to tell you something. If your daughter is, if, if you wonder if other people are saying that that is an inappropriate dress, it's an inappropriate dress. And I don't care if it is prom night. Give me a break. Cover up. Dress like you have some modesty. And I'm going to tell you something else. I'm sorry, y'all. I've already departed from the thing. Um, But here's something else. I noticed this with Maddie, who's now 20. You will notice this if you haven't yet. Right now, if you've got preschoolers, every mom you know, yes, we are going to be committed to purity. We are going to stand guard. We are going to protect her. We are no two piece bathing suits, you know, none, of, no spending the night, which by the way, you shouldn't be letting them spend the night. All of these things. Well, if it matters at five, six, seven, eight that she dresses in a manner that protects her purity and her dignity, it sure matters at 13, 14, and 15. But what happens is at 13, 14, and 15, she is going to be a little bit more difficult to deal with because she wants to have a bathing suit like everybody else. And this is cute, and I'm not, I don't even like boys and all of those kinds of things. And we start to go, well, you know, that is cute, and everybody else is wearing that. Well, I'm just going to say, if you're going to cave at 14 when it matters, then why in the world are you putting up such a big fight at seven? It's just like how he said, if it matters, it matters. So whenever it gets really loud and stormy and she's throwing a big fit, you need to remember that this is about a standard. And we took a stand for a reason, and I'm going to maintain the stand. And I can say to my daughter, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that everyone else can do that. I'm I'm sorry that it's hurting your feelings, but my parenting really isn't about how my child is going to respond. My parenting is about being obedient to what the Lord is telling me to do with these children that he has entrusted to me. And I've said that 150 times. I'm sorry. I'm doing I- I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account for what I did with you. Um, Okay, next age, 11 to 14-year-olds, lack of confidence. Middle school is an extremely difficult time, maybe the most difficult time in a person's life. And if you think about it, if you go to church somewhere that you don't fit in or you work somewhere and you don't like the environment, you can change anytime you want to. But if I'm a middle school kid and I don't fit in and I'm getting bullied and I'm being made fun of and it's miserable, I still have to go back tomorrow. And in middle school, the name of the game is I'm going to make fun of you before somebody makes fun of me. And as long as I can divert attention to you, then that's like self-survival, self-preservation. It is very difficult. So you need to encourage your middle school kids. Um, You also need to rescue them when the stakes are too high and when they're over their heads. And that can happen. Um, Something else that's important around middle school age is this is the way that I used to do. Um, I, my favorite thing in life has always been to be a mom. And I absolutely adore every minute with my kids. And every stage has been wonderful to me. And that doesn't mean we haven't had difficult times. But I want you to know not every kid rebels. And not every family hates the teenage years. I had the best time when my kids were teenagers. And there's bumps and there's potholes, but it is awesome. So do not let the enemy steal the joy of parenting where you're always dreading the next thing that's coming because it isn't bad always. Um, so anyway, what I would do is, I mean, I drop them off at school and all day long, I'm like, oh, I hope they did it good on that math test. And I wonder how Johnny's mom is doing. I heard she was sick and, ooh, I hope that girl did not act mean at lunch. And if so, I hope Maddie says exactly what we practiced that she was going to say, you know, all these things. And so when I would pick them up in the afternoon and they'd get in the car, I mean, I am 45 questions in 30 seconds, right? And I'm like, how did that go? Well, particularly the boys, it is like, shut it down. I mean, he didn't hear past the first three words, much less the first three questions. And really, Maddie, too, in middle school, right after school was not a good time to talk. And they needed time to sort of decompress and shake it off, right? Right. So we would come home, everybody sort of have a minute, we'd do a snack, you know, whatever, before we started homework. And I would wait for a cue from one of them before I started asking questions. Now, with your daughters, likely, do you know how many words um, a day that a boy speaks? Take a guess. A hundred, yeah. Sometimes three. Uh, 7,000 words in a day for a boy, so how many do you think for a girl? 21,000. You are out talking them three to one. So if you have a girl, likely she's going to just talk your leg off. Now, Maddie used to talk so much, I can remember like You can't, even me as another woman, I can't intake all of that. And so I would listen as long as I could, and then I'm like totally zoned out, and I would pick up on one or two things, and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Rewind like about, you know, five paragraphs and go again. The boys know, and I also know when I'm at the limit, right? So with my sons, I am thoughtful about the questions that I'm going to ask. And I can tell when they're getting sick of it, right? So then you stop and you reserve it for later, okay? So also, girls are more likely to sit down with you over chocolate chip cookies after school and chat. Boys, if you sit them down across from you and you're like, now, they are like, oh, Lord, 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 she probably found my dirty clothes shoved under my mattress. What is it that she knows? You know, and he's not talking. But if you will be active with your son, he's much more likely to talk because he's a little bit distracted. So that looks like, and he doesn't want to do what you want to do. He doesn't want to go tend the flowers in the garden and all that. He wants to throw a football or a baseball or go for a jog or do sit-ups and push-ups. I mean, I can throw any kind of a ball that you got. Not well, but well enough that they'll still play catch with me, right? And if they are doing something, building something, then they are much more likely to speak. Also, if you will do things with them, they realize that you are trying to become part of their world, and that means something to them. Middle school is important that you're talking to your kids. And not always about their grades or what they're not doing good or what they're struggling with. The thing about parenting is I think that we get stuck in this mindset that all we are is like a referee and we're calling balls and strikes and fouls. And yes, sometimes you have to blow the whistle and say foul or that was a ball. Um, All of those things, you do have to do that. But the majority of parenting it's about playing the game. And it's about getting to know them and them getting to know you and living life together and experiencing uh, victories and defeats and failures and rethinking and impacting people and being impacted and all of those things. And occasionally you go, whoop, you got out of bounds. But that isn't what parenting is about. Parenting is about building Relationships. Peer pressure is a huge thing. Um, You need to know their friends and their friends' parents, and you need to be their excuse and their example. Um, What I mean by this is you fall to peer pressure just as much as your your kids do often. And here's an example of that. If your son comes home and says, you know what, Uh, there's a party on Friday night. This is Monday. And you say, who's having the party? Well, it's at Steve's house. Well, I don't know Steve. I don't think you're going to go to that party. So the next day, you come home, your son has cleaned that room that you've been asking him to clean for three weeks. He has showered. He is taken out that trash. He has done everything. Mom, can I please go to that party? I, I don't know them. I just don't feel good about that. Next day, mom... I am the only person in the whole school that is not going to that party. And I can't believe, why do you not trust me? You just don't trust me. Thursday, you get a phone call from Joey's mom. And Joey's mom goes, I heard you're not going to let him go to that party on Friday night. Now, when are you ever going to cut the strings and let that boy do, you know, something. You cannot protect him from everything. And I'm going to let Joey go. And then you start thinking, huh, maybe I am just weird. And, you know, people think I'm weird. They're going to think he's weird. And oh my God, I don't want him to be weird. And so you let him go. Well, what you have just done is told your child, if you throw a big enough fit, then I will give in and let you do it. Now, if I'm just not letting him go because I don't want to let him go, that's one thing. But if I feel like I don't know this family, I don't know these people, and I don't think it's the right decision to let him go, then a call from your friend shouldn't change anything. You've also just shown them, my mom falls to peer pressure just like me and you don't and i also want you to know Joey's mom's calling you because if you let your son go it's going to make her feel better about letting Joey go. You have got to know why you are saying what you're saying. Um dating is about finding a spouse. It isn't about seeing how many times you can get your heart broken. And you need to date your own child. Um, It is a wonderful thing on so many levels. We did that. I went on dates with the boys, Brian with Maddie, and it would look like um, the boys would have to ask Brian, hey, I want to take mom to the movies and dinner on Friday night. Is that all right with you, sir? And they would uh, have to walk me to the car. They learned how to open doors, close doors, pay a ticket. Um, they also paid attention to what I was wearing and what I wasn't. Um, I am the mom that this is all good for you because when it comes, push comes to shove, you can go, I heard about this mom that did this. Just be glad that's not your mom. right? Um, Whenever my sons were going to the prom, I would say, you can spin this any way you want to. You can tell that girl that you're taking that it's so we can match the tie color to her dress. But I will see a picture of that girl's dress before you go to pick her up from the prom. Or you, sir, are risking real embarrassment when I show up to take pictures and go, "Mm mm-mm. You are not going to the prom unless she wears something else. Because I am as concerned about my son as you are about your daughter. And I'm going to do everything that I can to protect his dignity and purity as well. Um, But when we would go on dates, we would inevitably have a heart-to-heart conversation and without me having to say now we got 10 more minutes I really need to know what's going on on that baseball team right but it was one-on-one time with them where I'm focused and they're focused and we were able to just open up and have great conversations so you need to date your kids Um, I want to give you a little bit of statistics. If a person starts dating in the sixth grade, and I'm talking about texting boys, saying that's my boyfriend, buying presents for each other. That's what I'm calling dating. If they're doing that in the sixth grade, 91% of the time they're going to have sex before they graduate high school. If they're doing that in the eighth grade, 53% of the time they'll have sex before they graduate And if they start dating in 10th grade, 20% of the time they will have sex before they graduate. And the reason for that is because sex is progressive. And we have learned scientifically that there are 12 steps of bonding, 12 steps from eye contact to full-blown sexual intercourse. So what happens is, In the sixth grade, I start dating a boy and uh, we start down these 12 steps. So in sixth grade, we make eye contact and then we talk and then we hold hands and then we hug and then we kiss and then we French kiss. And I'm on step six and I'm in the sixth grade. And then we break up and in seventh grade, I get a new boyfriend. Do you think I start on step one or step six? Six, because that's where I'm comfortable. So in seventh grade... I go seven, eight, nine. I'm on step 10, and I'm in the 7th grade. There's two more before I'm having sex. So that is why we need to delay. First of all, they're not mature enough. And second of all, um, there's only 12 steps. So the longer you delay, the better off everybody is going to be. Now this does not mean that your kids are home at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, bun in hair, learning how to knit in the back room, okay? And I always, every time I do this kind of talk, I envision what you envision my kids to look like. And I, they definitely missed out on some things probably growing up, didn't get invited to do some things probably, um, but my kids were active. Uh, My kids were in athletics. My kids were in choir. My kids were in band. My son was uh, Mr. BHS. He won the state championship in wrestling. They had a great experience growing up, but they were different because we did not allow a lot of things that were going on around us. It was also very helpful to them to be able to say, my parents won't let me do that. I have to go home. I can't do that. I'll tell you something else. We did, uh, my kids didn't get a cell phone until they were driving. Now, before that, Um, we had an extra phone. So if you were going to ride your bike around the block or you were going to go be late coming home from a game or something, you would take the extra phone. And it didn't belong to anybody, and it had, like, real buttons on it. So they could text or call. And um, they did that until they were driving. When they started driving, we gave them a smartphone, and we did that because they needed the driving directions Um, but we also took the phone up at a certain time every night and I have never I do not have perfect children but I have never had an argument with my children over any kind of technology device phone included because we told them you will not get a phone until you are driving Well, we kept our word when they were three, when they were five, when they were ten. So they know I'm keeping my word about this. So it's not worth fighting, nagging, and trying to wear me down because I'm not. Then when we gave them the phone, we said, your phone gets plugged in my bedroom at nine o'clock every night. And if I have to remind you to plug it in, you're going to be grounded from it. And I never did. They plugged it in, it was in there, they're off of it at 9 o'clock. I also plug my phone in my bedroom at 9 o'clock, though, because I don't want my kids to fight for my attention with my phone, and I don't want to fight for theirs. So the other thing is, if your child has a cell phone, and if they are for sure in elementary school, they shouldn't and I'm, I'm sorry, and I know that makes your stomach hurt <laughs> that I'm saying that, but it is not safe, and I don't care what kind of filters you have on it. If they can see Instagram or YouTube or TikTok, they have seen pornography 100% of the time. And I, we used to say you've got to talk to kids about pornography, boys, by about 13 I regularly talk to girls eight years old and younger who struggle with looking at pornography. And it isn't because they went looking for pornography, but what happens is we're at so-and-so's volleyball tournament, and I have this little girl, and I'm like, here, go watch a movie on my phone. And she's sitting at the back of the gym watching this movie, and here comes another child, and they're like, look what happens when you look up butts. Well, they see butts, right? But what else starts popping up is other things and worse things. And I'm going to tell you something. I have watched eight-year-old little girls say, I threw away all of the chargers to my iPad because I know I shouldn't be looking at this, but I can't stop. So... It used to be super cute that we'd go, you know, if you don't know how to turn your phone on or use that computer, ask your five-year-old, ha, ha, ha. It is not funny. And if you have given your child a device, you have to know more than they know, and you have to set up protections for them. Now, I will also tell you, I don't care what protections you put on there, you're going to find out after they've been violated. There there was a girl who was in middle school, and she had Vine, which is like uh, short videos, and um, her mom goes in, she's in her room one day, and her mom goes in, and she's in there crying, and the mom's like, what's wrong? And she shows her mom this picture of an adult man that he had sent directly to her, and it was I mean, this mom was like, I'm 40 years old and I've never seen anything like that. And it got sent to my middle school daughter. So now maybe we take Vine off, but it's after she's already been impacted by what she saw. Parents will say things like this. "Um, Well, if I don't let them have it, are they ever going to learn how to use it responsibly? Well, I'll tell you this. I have filters on my phone my husband has a, a same filter on his phone that our kids have. We all have a filter. You all need to be accountable with your devices and what you're looking at. For sure your children and for sure your husband, everybody, all of us. So it isn't like I get old enough that I don't need accountability or I don't need to protect what I'm watching. You need accountability. And things come up that you're not looking for. Jake has, um, we used, and I think this is on the second handout, a program called MobiSip. That's what we used all growing up. This will actually filter and block uh, what they can see. You have to go in and turn off Safari. Safari is not filtered. So you turn off Safari and you load one of these programs on their device. MobiSip becomes the browser. It becomes Safari, right? And then you set uh, the guidelines for what they can see and what they cannot see. Again, this is not 100% foolproof and most of these things do not protect on social media. Um, but MobiSip will block the browser and it will block something that they are trying to see that you have set up a block for. Um, Jake went to A&M with that on all of his things. And he was pre-med at the time. So he gets down there and he starts calling. He's like, I'm about to fail this test because it's blocking me. I'm trying to look up, you know, anatomy or whatever. So we changed at that point with him to Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is not a filter. It won't block anything. Anything that anybody searches for, they can get to. But... You set up accountability partners and you uh, give this person, they get an email once a week showing them what you have looked at that week. So that is what my husband and I and Jake now have is covenant eyes and so we get an email and you can tell if something popped up and it was on there for like five seconds or you can tell if somebody was looking at something for 20 minutes. Um, and what that does, though, is the person can still see it, but they know that you're going to know if if they do. So both of those are really good uh, tools. Um, I want to tell you a story about TikTok, and then I'm going to let you ask me questions for like five minutes because I've talked way too long. Um, TikTok wa- is a y'all know what TikTok is? Yes. And so I was following, also, you need to follow, if anything that you have, you need to be following your kids' friends and seeing the kinds of things that they are posting. I think that you should be reading uh, text messages that your kids get. And my kids knew I was going to read their texts, and I didn't do it every day, but they didn't know when I was going to do it, and I would pull it up and read it. I also read the group me's. Uh, There was one time on my son's high school football team, these are kids that I've known since they were that big, and I'm seeing things that they're putting on there, and I posted on there, this is candy from Jake's thing. He was really proud of that. Um, <laughs> if I see any more like this, I'm going to call your mothers. This is inappropriate. But what that tells me is nobody else's mama is looking at this group, me, because we should all be upset about this. You need to be looking at what they're doing. Um Where was I going? Oh, TikTok. Okay, so I'm I'm watching this little girl that I know. She's in the eighth grade, and she's lip-singing to this song that had terrible language. The language that she was actually lip-singing to, I would have been upset if I was her mother. But it had the F word in it, but when it came to the F word, this little girl would go, and she wouldn't say the F word. So she does her little video, she posts the video, but then she writes whatever she's gonna write and then she puts hashtag finger. So you know that a hashtag, if I click that hashtag, it pulls up everything that any person has ever used that hashtag for. So these are now middle school girls looking at their friend's thing, clicking on the hashtag finger, and when you clicked on it, it would've made you sick. What all of these little middle school girls are now seeing. So it is over-the- top prevalent. I, my kids well, and again, I mean, I'm just giving you this so that you have a little ammo. We didn't have social media, n- neither one, Jake or Maddie, the younger two. in high school, they did not have anything not Snapchat, even y'all and they lived. Um, they still knew when games were and all that. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, But they didn't have anything, not Facebook, not Instagram, not TikTok, not Snapchat, nothing. And they are fine, healthy, productive human beings. And they missed out on a ton of drama. Because when boys are getting called down to the office because a naked picture of a girl got sent around to everybody, Jake didn't have to go. He doesn't have it. He didn't get it. Same thing for Maddie, bullying still happens, but like we were talking about, when I was growing up, there were bullies, but they had to be mean enough to come straight up to your face, say something mean, and watch your response. So there were fewer. Now, I can put anything I want to on this social media stuff, and I don't have to watch the reaction. So I will say a lot of things that I would never have the nerve to come up and say to somebody's face. And it's no less heartbreaking to the person that it's said about. Technology has changed the game and it is okay to do things different at your house. You're supposed to look different. The word says that your children are called to be a light, to be overcomers, They're set apart. That means at any given moment, if your child looks around the room and he looks just like everybody else, he is not living up to his calling. He's supposed to stand taller and brighter and stronger and more confident because he knows who he is, he understands what the standard is, and he isn't looking around at all of these hurting people to speak identity into him because you're doing that. Because his time with the Lord is doing that. Something else I want to just say is we don't have a problem requiring our kids to turn off the TV and go outside and exercise or take their vitamins or, you know, go to bed at a certain time and get a certain amount of sleep. You should not have a problem with requiring your child to have a quiet time. It's the same as any other principle. Everybody at our house has a quiet time. Do you want to do yours in the morning or at night? And I would wake my kids up 15 minutes early every morning. You're going to do a quiet time. And they did it originally because that's what we do. But all of a sudden, something switched. And I have watched my teenage kids go off in their car to watch a sunset and spend an hour with the Lord for years and years and years. And when I have sent them off to college, I don't pray prayers like, God, keep them away from Northgate. Please, God, don't let them take somebody home. Please don't let them drive drunk. I don't pray prayers like that. Because I know my kids are basing their decision off of their relationship with the Lord. I pray prayers like every step they take on that campus, God, in Jesus' name, let it be for your kingdom. And kids that are lost and lonely and afraid, let them find Maddie. Let her come across them sitting there having lunch. Let her have courage enough to approach them. They are witnessing to people that they don't know walking around the campus of Texas A&M. It is not because of how I raised them. It is because they know Jesus and my standard and his standard has become their standard and that is what you are after. It doesn't matter if you get picked to be PTA president. It doesn't matter if your child is homecoming king or queen. It matters. Do they know Jesus? Are they light? Are they standing close to the light? Do they know how to do battle? Because they were born for such a time as this. Thanks for listening to the Candy Gibbs podcast. For more information and other resources, visit candygives.com.